0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all the ships at sea, and welcome to the Boston Podcast. My name is Dave. David, Yes, to be a little bit more specific, and thank you for tuning in to the Boston Podcast. We have a great show for you today. This is the podcast where... You hear the voices of our city telling the stories of our city, learning how to prosper in your city and maybe love your city a little bit more. But as you know, if you listen to me, I talk a lot about autism because I have my beloved sainted son, Adrian, has autism, and he's the love of my life, and he's doing great. He's always going to need some help. The subject today will touch upon autism because I have with me on the line a very special guest. He is the author of a book called Bad Choices Make Good Stories, My Life with Autism. He also has a podcast called No Offense, Outrageous Autism. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Dylan Volk. How are you, man? Hey. Thanks for joining us. We have a mutual friend who's your lousy, no-good Uncle Judd. Shout out Judd. No, we love Judd. We love Judd. But uh, he kind of prefaced things by saying, now, Dylan says a lot of outrageous stuff, and I said, That sounds cool. It doesn't freak me out. And to me, it's pretty cool. Someone in the autism spectrum is being really loud and vocal about it. So tell me about that. How'd you get into all this stuff?
1: Well, uh, I've always been pretty opinionated, I think. I've always been someone who observes the world a lot and thinks about things a lot. And uh, I've always loved to argue. And uh, I guess... No, you don't. No, you don't. (laughs) Sorry, it's worth a try. Go ahead. Yeah, and learning, uh, having to learn social skills my whole life. um, You might be thinking, you know, now it doesn't sound like I have autism, or to your surprise, You might be surprised that I have autism, but I say, you should have seen me 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. You should have seen me 15 years ago. I had to learn social skills basically from scratch my whole life. And when you have to do that, uh, you end up paying attention a lot more than the average person who just breezes through and never really has to assess their own social skills. So from that I got a lot of very unusual opinions and mm-hmm. so I expressed them on my podcast that's what I do.
0: In a minute we're going to hear a sample of it and and by the way I completely agree with you in just so I clicked you've got your podcast on YouTube and I imagine other places but since it's on YouTube you can actually see Dylan he does a, a video version of it. And I gotta say, your your uh, my first reaction was you don't look you don't quote unquote look like you have autism. Now, you and I both know that there is kind of no such thing, but even like your mannerisms did, didn't strike me right away as someone who's on the spectrum. Uh, Dylan is a handsome dude. He's a young dude. He's he's very, carries himself with a lot of confidence. So it it's just kind of a, immediately I'm thinking a success story, and so. In a minute, we're going to play, and Dylan, if you just hang with me for one bit, we're going to play a little bit of of Dylan's podcast. And before we do that, I just want to tell you briefly about our sponsor, the U.S. Postal Service, second largest employer in the United States, offering paid training and ways to move up. Apply today, USPS.com slash careers, U.S. Postal Service, deliver for the nation. And also want to tell you about our friends at Adore, our podcast platform. Go and find the Adori app. Go to the app store, download the Adori podcast player. That's A D O R I. It's actually an anagram for radio. Your podcast will come alive with images like you've never seen before. Adori, download that app. It's wicked cool. All right, Dylan. So, and by the way, wait, Dylan. And it used to be pronounced Dylan. What was? What's that all about? You need to tell me that.
1: Uh, that was my high school nickname, Dylon.
0: Dylan. Uh, okay.
1: In high school, I had a friend, and he used to freestyle rap. And he <laughs> gave me that name one day. He was just like, "His name is Dylon He spits like a lion." <laughs> and
0: that's funny. And, and after
1: that, it, after that, it kind of it kind of caught on. Mm-hmm. And I kept that for a long time because I did and still do like it, and I think it kind of. Does my character better justice? However, the problem was white people have a hard time pronouncing it. <laughs> and <laughs> and yeah. that was uh, – black people love it like because it kind of sounds like a black name, right? Yeah. And so I, I never had a black person who couldn't pronounce it perfectly. Uh, however, white people, especially you know middle-aged white people, and when you're trying to do public speaking, which I do to promote my book – You know, speaking at conferences and HR stuff and schools, you gotta appeal to you know middle-aged white people a little bit, and (laughs) it was too difficult. To I couldn't use two different names. I I could not do like, oh well, my social media is Dylon, but when you're speaking booking me, it's Dylan Volk, and here you type in D-I-E, but here it's Dylan. So I just I was like, I have to pick one or the other.
0: Well, that reminds me of the, what is it, the key and peel bit where the teacher is calling on the students and calling them A, a. Ron, and he's not turning around, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah.
0: your version of that. Let's take a listen again. Uh, uh, Dylan, I'm not going to say Dylon, but I wanted to for a minute there. Uh, Dylan's got a podcast called No Offense, Outrageous Autism. This is how he starts his show, so check this out.
1: Welcome to No Offense, Outrageous Autism. I am your host, Dylan Volk. I am an author... See that right there? Public speaker, social media personality, and uh, last but not least, I am indeed autistic. That's right. I have high functioning autism, and while you might not be able to tell by listening to me, just wait until you get a taste of my unique ways of viewing the world. I'm a guy who had a vasectomy at age 25. (laughs) I'm a guy who says women just want sex and men just want romance. I'm a guy who's been arrested for meth. All right. Now, uh, starting off today. Oh, by the way, my book, of course, Bad Choices Make Good Stories. I got the shirt on. You see that? Oh, yeah. That-
0: <laughs> all right. I'll take it down. <laughs> That's a good taste of yeah. how you kick it off. Like uh, completely uh, unabashed uh, optimism. And t- you seem to be proud that you've overcome all this stuff.
1: Well, when you're a kid and a teenager, it is not cool at all to have a disability like that. But when you're an adult, it suddenly starts to kind of become cool to be a little different. And also people love the opportunity to do some good old virtue signaling. Be like, I'm friends with the autistic guy or I am proud of the autistic guy. And then they feel good about themselves. So as an adult, I just started to be able to embrace it more.
0: And so do you think things have changed in recent years? Because I can just to use an example, I can remember being in junior high. And I remember this kid named Gary, who now that I look back on it, clearly had Asperger's. And, I'll, you know, the poor kid got picked upon like a lot of kids who are like that. And it could have been like even sadder that he was just never diagnosed. Do you think it's better these days? you you seem to wear autism with a badge of honor that knowing that you can, that people will be accepting of it.
1: Well, I mean, I think they're accepting of it with me because they, they do, I guess they do feel like it's a success story because I give off the impression mm-hmm. that I, I don't really have it. And so uh, I don't know, I, I would say yes, but I'm sure it isn't for other people right. because if other people are still uh, having problems with their presentation skills, I'm sure it's not much better for them.
0: So, okay, so you said it. So I gotta ask: arrested for meth? What happened?
1: I was, I was doing meth for a while. Uh, nice. I'll try to, I'll try to give you the compacted story here. It's all okay. in my book. If you want to go to badchoicesmakegoodstories.com, dot com, quick plug. But uh, actually,
0: comp- uh, Dylan, let me stop you for a sec. So, you, I take it is the book on Amazon?
1: It is there, too. Okay,
0: so we'll put a link to it in the show notes. And if you're listening on the Adore app, which I mentioned earlier, you can click on the screen right now and click through to Amazon and get Dylan's book. I'm going to do it. Bad Choices Make Good Stories, My Life With Autism. Dylan Volk. Cool. All right, go on. And
1: also the audio book, if you prefer to listen. I narrated it myself on Audible.
0: Oh, cool. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And so, um, how did I get into, um, yeah, well, domestic. I was doing, uh, drugs for a while in, uh, when I, this was when I was living in Austin, Texas. Mm. Uh, I just started going out. I was actually, I was hanging out with, uh, some gay guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not gay, but I had some gay friends and we would go to the gay clubs. And in the gay clubs in Austin, Texas, you know, I would start seeing people doing cocaine, your Molly, all the typical suspects. Mm-hmm. And I started doing that. And but then I realized that it, it takes a lot of whatever I do for me to feel something. Wow. And and, you know, I like good bargain for my money. You know, so <laughs> oh, I being the logical, you know, autistic way, I think I thought, well, you know, If I do meth, I'll definitely know I'll feel something Mm -hmm. and I'll get a real good value for my money, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I started doing that and I, and now it was like, okay, this is the real deal. You know, I'm Mm. not having to wonder anymore. And so, yeah, I got into that for a while and it really, it was fun because it made me just be able to kind of forget about the autism. It made me feel like I didn't have to try so hard socially. I just didn't care that um, that was pretty addictive about it. And then eventually, uh, fast forward, my life kind of started going downhill, not because of that. It was actually a a job I got fired from that really had me depressed. And I started doing it again. And eventually I got pulled over because my, well, my car, um, my friend was driving my car. We crashed into a snowbank. Uh, Then the police thought we were drunk driving, you know, because mm-hmm. this was in the middle of the winter, two in the morning. Uh, this was back in Maine. And uh, it was January. And uh, so they, they, they're they thinking, oh, these people are drunk driving. We weren't drunk driving. However, upon searching my car, I did have some meth.
0: Mm. So mm. got
1: arrested for that.
0: Wow. Wow. And you've kicked it, I take it.
1: Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been randomly drug tested since then. So it's been uh, that's probably been a lot of what's helped me, but yeah,
0: so, so now that made sense to me because, uh, as I said, I have, a, I have a son with autism, and uh, the way he thinks in black and white is remarkable, and sometimes it comes in handy because he doesn't get annoyed by little things about like being late or sitting in traffic or anything like that because it just it, it, he doesn't overthink things, he's like, he's just kind of like, you know, whatever. But I never would have thought that that thought process, and yet it makes sense to me. You said the the other drugs weren't doing it. This drug has, is the strongest. So yeah. did do, do, do those do those instincts come in handy sometimes, as well as maybe in that case, it, it it wasn't a good outcome? But tell me about those instincts and how you might make decisions differently than a typical person.
1: Yeah, well, a good example is the vasectomy thing, right? I mentioned I had a vasectomy mm-hmm. at age 25. Um, and a lot of people are saying like, Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna get it reversed. Don't worry. You can get it reversed. Um, I just look at people who have kids and I see that, you know, having kids seems to kind of suck the life out of a lot of people. It seems to destroy (laughs) a lot of relationships. You know, the sex stops in a marriage. Uh, It makes people fat. And I, and even the idea of having kids is like... Unappealing to me, like making photocopies of yourself and watching (laughs) these little like clones of that are like half you walk around, jacking your facial features, ripping off your swag. It's like copyright infringement, you know? I like, I'm an original trademark, like, there doesn't need to be no more of me. And so there's only I got, one dialon, and, and
0: there should only be one dialon, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
1: and and so uh, my dad was like, well, do you do you want to get a vasectomy? And I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. And so that would be, uh, I guess, a very logical way of thinking that most people most people have some kind of emotional aspect to the whole idea of kids that yeah. I just don't have. I'd and you're, say, you're, why have kids can have cats?
0: So did anyone, including your dad, try to talk you out of it?
1: No, well, we were at a speaking engagement, right? And because my dad wrote a book before, this is actually a sequel. He wrote a book about his life raising me as a father, Mm. and I contributed to that book. I had like my takes on some chapters, and so we did some speaking engagements to promote that book. Somebody asked in the Q and A, "What if I had a child with autism?" Mm. And my answer was, "That's why I'm saving up for a vasectomy."
0: <laughs> and they thought, and, then, and they thought you were joking at the time. Probably
1: they might have, yeah. But then, and then my dad asked later that night. He was like, "Were you kidding, or did you mean that?" And I was like, "Oh, I meant that." And he was like, "Well, do you want to get one?" And I was like, "Yeah."
0: Yeah. Well, it it is true that you you would have a higher chance of having a child on the autism spectrum, right? And I know you don't want another uh, Dylan <laughs> around. But even, if, yeah. but, but even if you did, you might, you might um, uh, consider the fact that if you had a child, it, it could be someone, not like you, it could be someone more severe on the autism spectrum. When we had our first son, we were thinking about having a second, and we almost decided not to for fear of that child being on the spectrum. But at the time, this was like back in 2000, they didn't really know. I think they know more that it is you know genetic, it is passed down, right?
1: Yeah, I went to a a I went to a wilderness school. You can read about this in my book, but I got kicked out of high school for uh, briefly and went got sent to like an autism wilderness boot camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had parents' weekend where all the parents came and visited. And I remember seeing some of the parents, and they were like carbon copies of their autistic kids. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's where he got the autism.
0: Yeah, I mean, I. I... I don't consider myself on the spectrum, although I think we all have a little bit of spectrum somewhere in us. That's why it's a spectrum. But oh, yeah. but I know that I have relatives on my side and I know that uh, Adrian's mom has relatives on her side that are just, um, you know, either very withdrawn, introspective, you might call them eccentric. In um, talking to you, Dylan, I don't see any of that, but but um, it does run through there. So So what about that? Have you... Have you gotten to a point now that is much different from where you were in terms of just social skills and, and development and all that?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, I was always the exception in that I was very sociable, wanted to be social and uh, not afraid of other people. But I definitely had a lot of honing my social skills to do, learning mm-hmm. how to fit into conversations. And, but a lot of it wasn't it wasn't me because a lot of it is uh, the way that kids have conversations is different from the way adults have conversations and the way kids have conversations is like a basketball game Mm -hmm. versus the way adults have conversations is like a baseball game. (laughs) So kids convos, the ball goes wherever it goes. There's not really any order Mm -hmm. and it's hard to follow. And then adult conversation style is more like a baseball game where it's orderly and you know what's going to happen next. And there's like, kind of it's predictable and easier to kind of follow and it's more boring so, it's also more boring i mean yeah it's <laughs> one way to look at it <laughs>
0: no sorry go ahead Dylan.
1: <laughs> and that's i think it's more interesting because adults have conversations that are actually like about stuff whereas yep. kids have conversations about just nothing and i always yep. wanted to talk about things even before i was really that smart i was still like I was smart, but just not smart yet. Like I I was I was like an adult that hadn't become an adult yet, if that makes sense.
0: I do need to tell you about the U.S. Postal Service, the second largest employer in the United States, offering paid training and ways to move up. Apply today at usps.com slash careers. The USPS <laughs> works together to provide efficient, affordable service to the American public. The workers are the backbone of its service, and the USPS wants to develop an advanced career, so its development programs train and prepare employees for promotions and growth in a variety of business areas. Everything you need to know is online, USPS.com slash careers. And it's the policy of the Postal Service to provide equal employment opportunity and prevent employment discrimination. The Postal Service seeks to attract and retain a diverse workforce in which employees respect and value each other's differences and work to promote collaboration, flexibility, and fairness so that all employees are able to participate and contribute to the full potential. Apply today. Website once again, USPS.com slash careers, United States Postal Service. Deliver for the nation. And it sounds like now you're confident enough to talk about a lot of controversial things on your on your podcast. It, it sounds like what you're saying is that the autism kind of, um, in in a way, kind of removes a filter that, which which in some ways could be a good thing, some way could be a bad thing. It, tell me if that's true, and oh, tell yeah. me, and tell me. So yeah, and tell me about that, and and whether you've gotten in trouble with saying certain things on your pod or or what? How's that been?
1: Well, I've only done five episodes so far. Okay. Um, so, so, and I'm still trying to get it. You know, if I could get in trouble, that would be a sign of success. Right. I mean, that's that's attention. Audience.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: um, but definitely, no. The the la the lack of filter. I mean, I still have some filter. But yeah, I know. Uh, like I, I, I still have enough of a filter to know where the line is. Let's say, but I mm. will still push the line much more than most people. Um, like the example, I don't know if you're going to play a clip, where, but I was talking about a comparison with black women and relationships mm-hmm. and white guys and friendship. Mm. Because black women are the least likely to be married and white men are the least likely to have friends. And before you say anything, <laughs> it's been studied. I got the stats.
0: All right. Wait a minute. You got to take me through this. So so the, the same way that black women avoid marriage is the same way that white dudes... Are, avoid friendship? Did I get that right or Well, black
1: women are the least likely to be married or have a serious relationship because they only generally are interested in black men, mm-hmm. when black men are very likely to date outside their race and they're also more likely to be incarcerated, like mm-hmm. it or not. Right. And so that leaves them with less options. Okay,
0: I'm with you now. Yep.
1: Yeah, and so and they and they don't settle. They're not going to just date somebody that they're not attracted to uh women don't settle in general it's something i think men should learn from them Mm -hmm. uh we need to stop settling but that's a whole nother topic white men and friendship (laughs) uh that is more complicated it's harder to pinpoint the reason why i think it's because white men are very task oriented and they just don't seem to value social their social lives as much like in my experience trying to make friends with white guys i very often see a mentality of like I'll be like, "Oh, do you want to meet at this place or you want to go out this place and do this?" And it's like if it's convenient for them, then they'll do it. But if there's yeah. like if it doesn't make total logical sense, they're not going to they don't put any value on going out of their way for that. It's like, "Oh, well, you know, if that's on my way home from here and if I have enough time here, then yeah, we could do that." But whereas uh, other groups of people, I see them more valuing just the the element of doing of building social friendships relationships but that's just a theory what i do know is that it's a fact because it's been studied but i'm well, let, speculating on the theory
0: i'll i'll add to your theory okay I, I i think you're onto something here and i think part of it might be that some uh, black men will find it easier to befriend well um, other fellow black men because since they are a minority there seems to be a and this is a stereotype, but I think some of it is true that th- it seems to be, uh, kind of an immediate kinship, more so at least than two white guys, yeah. Uh, it, and it, you know, not across the board, of course, but you will see two black men. I remember, and I'll quote, um, or I'll reference my my uh hero podcaster, Adam Carolla, he talks about race all the time, and his big thing is. Uh, I'm not racist, but I'll talk about stereotypes, and a lot of them are true. And he said he saw, he <laughs> yeah. saw, he saw these two. They happened to be two famous black dudes. Like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a guess as to who they were. I think it might have been like Tommy Davidson, the old comedian from In Living Color, and I think he was meeting like Jim Brown, the, the former football player and actor. And they, they, they kind of knew who one another were, but they had never met. And so they look at each other, they talk for a brief bit, and then they give each other like. One of those graspy, uh, you know, not a high five, but you know, when you, with the two hands together and almost and a little bit of a, a hug. And Adam Carolla was like, I'm jealous of black men because they can go up and be like, hey, what's up, man? Like, and, and just give them the pound. And he's like, I'm an Italian uh, white guy. I wouldn't go up to another Italian white guy and and, dis- and provide some secret handshake, you know. So <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So so maybe that contributes to your theory, you know. I mean, I'm half Irish, half Jewish, and I'll talk to you about being Irish or Jewish, but I'm not going to give you a hug just because you are, <laughs> you know.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: so what? So what else? You get. You get. Um, you you do seem to talk about race and gender a lot on the pod, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And and, um, and then, I know you got into music, so tell us quickly what your, um, we've got a few minutes left here, Dylan, but tell us quickly what your um, theory was on 90s music, because that was in the episode that I sampled also.
1: Uh, well, there was this video, have you seen that video, Back to the 90s, by uh, Ben and Jensen, it was a viral hit on Facebook.
0: I have not. I got to catch up on my viral videos, I guess, but go ahead. Yeah.
1: Okay. That was what I was talking about. And I was just saying that that video is just really hacky and they basically (laughs) just put every element of nineties parody that's already been done somewhere else. They grouped it all together, put it in a blender and then made this very, very overproduced, uh, really try hard video Uh, that I just thought was just from a comedy point of view, it was just terrible. But I'm not surprised that it got 100 million views on Facebook. And it's very telling that it only got a couple hundred thousand on YouTube. That's Mm -hmm. like Mm 0.05% of the views. And I was talking about how the videos on YouTube are different from Facebook, whereas Facebook, it compared it to the checkout aisle. The magazines in a checkout aisle at a grocery store, Versus YouTube is like the actual magazine aisle at yeah. a grocery store,
0: and and podcasts are the hard hardcover books. <laughs> if I follow, if <laughs> yeah. I follow you, in other words, Facebook's an impulse buy, right? Facebook is yeah. like, I'll click on that 12 second video of the cat falling off the couch because what the hell, why not? Yeah, YouTube auto plays you, exactly, and then YouTube, you got to invest a little bit more because YouTube videos can be long, right?
1: And you have to – you're there for videos. Right. So it's not just grabbing your attention. It's about actually being somewhat of a good video because you're there for videos. Um, but about 90s um, – uh, I think I was just saying I was sick of 90s nostalgia. I'm, it, it's been like a whole decade of 90s nostalgia. I'm ready for 2000s nostalgia. <laughs> I say let's, let's right. move on, folks. I like, like <laughs> I Like I get it already, you know, you know and I love yeah. the – well, I love the 90s boy bands and the, the pop music in the late 90s. And I even love some Alanis Morissette. Right. But it's enough already with the 90s. You know, there's a whole decade ripe for parody uh, that is just com- a completely empty lane. And I, let's let's progress. <laughs> so let's what progress, folks?
0: So you're already right, you're, you're pushing the nostalgia clock forward. So what what's the quintessential 2000s thing to make fun of, or, or whether it be a band or style or what have you?
1: Well, nobody knows yet, really. I mean, I have some (laughs) ideas. Uh, I'm starting to see the styles of the 2000s as very different from now. You know, when you look at someone's Facebook and you scroll back in their photos, you can start to see it emerge. Once once you get to like 2011, 10, you start to really see it jump out at you. Mm -hmm. you know people wore like they they wore a lot of aeropostle like aeropostle 1987 yeah, okay. or stuff like that and uh baggy clothes were definitely in they're not really in now and uh
0: music yeah, those wise mm-hmm.
1: yeah music music wise uh i feel like the 2000s is going to be remembered for a lot of like really poppy rap songs yep. like that's that song about the apple bottom jeans stuff like that yeah Boots the, the, the
0: flow rider, flow writers song yeah. low yeah you know what that's a great point because i used to do a little djing on the side and so i worked a lot of weddings and bar mitzvahs and stuff in the 2000s and There were just tons and tons and tons of like dance hip hop dance songs specifically, and hip hop is still very much alive, but you don't dance to it anymore. I mean, I don't anyway. I don't get it, but but it's like mumble uh, rap now. Yeah, exactly. It's funny you say that. I think a lot about this topic about nostalgia because so when I, you and I are different generations, but when I grew up, there was um, I'm sure you've heard of the the TV show Happy Days with the Fonz and everything, right? Yeah. So so that had its glory days in the late 70s and it was a show about the 50s so they really had only rewound 20 years so if you were to start a show now using the same pattern, you would make up a, a show about and meanwhile, when we were watching the show we we're like, "Oh my god, look at how weird that is. They all grease back their hair. They all, you know, hung around at the drive-in. Stuff that yeah. we just didn't do." And so now you would rewind to about the year 2000, just like you're saying, but I like yeah. I don't remember things being that differently back then. But you but you're turning me around a little bit now like with the with the like music has definitely changed radically. So, why not? So you so you could you know, we you and I could write a treatment for that that two thousands show, right? Instead of that seventy yeah. show, I guess, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, that would be like ahead of the curve because that's yeah. the next thing, and you're starting to see signs of it here and there. Um, come a couple of years, it'll be everywhere, right? Because you're set. Like it's always two decades later.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think about. So, um, I know we're up against the clock and you, you had a hard out. We can go
1: like, we can go like another 10 minutes if you want. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, let's do it, man. So tell me about, um, the, what other stuff will we learn from, from reading the book? I mean, is it, is it about your story from, from when, starting from when you were a kid and, and tell us the arc of that story.
1: It briefly covers when I was a kid to kind of give you the foundation, and then it goes <laughs> heavily into my teenage years through kind of now.
0: Mm-hmm. And what's what? Give us some highlights and lowlights. Was it was it fun writing this? Um, was it uh, kind of a, a chore, or was it a little bit painful, or what?
1: Um, yeah, it was a chore, um, towards the end. Uh, you know, it was, it was interesting. It, um, I was just very excited as I was writing it. Uh, it's also the first book with emojis. Can't forget to mention that. Is that it right? Em- yeah. It has emojis through the whole thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, I don't get them. I'm, I'm too old for emojis, but people like when you hit 50, your eyesight starts going. They're too small, man. But that's yeah. but I've never heard of a I've never heard of a book with emojis before. Well you don't they're not included in the audiobook though, I take it, huh?
1: Well the audiobook is narrated by me, so I am the emojis.
0: <laughs> so we can tell if you're happy or you're sad or whatnot.
1: Oh yeah, you get you get hmm. all of it.
0: So um, you know, the one of the I mentioned the, I referenced the movie Rain Man earlier and and a lot of i thought that was a very accurate depiction of a person with autism at, at a certain point in the spectrum and it part of the reason why some of the autism community didn't like it is because it it depicted the fact that the character had savant skills like these almost magical skills and um not every person on the spectrum has those do you have things that do you think where you think your brain provides a definite advantage over people with a typical brain
1: uh yeah but for me it's tends to be kind of useless stuff you know it's like (laughs) pop music trivia and you can't really use what are you going to use that for a career you know
0: well uh, you know i have a podcast here on pod617.com we could make you a correspondent it's called past tens a top 10 time machine always be selling right so that's so that's uh, now we're not making a lot of money off of it yet but who knows i mean (laughs) yeah i mean in in the enter in the entertainment industry that would come in handy so how does that manifest itself? Guess, yeah. You just, you just remember lyrics, you remember songs. You, they're they're all like just stored in your brain.
1: Yeah, for sing, for things that I'm interested in, the the knowledge just is locked in um, with no problem. I just remember it uh, like a laser. Mm-hmm. Um, but for things that I'm not interested in, it becomes much harder, mm-hmm. and uh, that can obviously be seen by many mistakenly as laziness, which is understandable. But it's actually like it's actually the way my brain works. Like it is actually like literally more difficult for me to retain information if I'm not interested. It's like my brain doesn't open up to it. Mm.
0: Can you give us your uh, top three bands of all time?
1: Uh, You know, I don't really go by artists that much. I go more by just like the, the song. And if I Mm -hmm. like the song and I mean, I like, I go by producers, you know, have you heard of Max Martin? I heard you mentioned him. Mm Mm-hmm. Max Martin, I love everything he's done. That and, must have been my podcast uh,
0: partner that mentioned him. I, I, <laughs> I don't know as yeah, many as the producers. He's oh, okay. he's he's more of the uh, the details guy, but and and so that's uh, that's a he's a hip hop producer or
1: no he was oh. a he's a pop producer. He's okay. written like every pop song in the last twenty years, practically. Oh wow! He's from Sweden, mm. like all of Britney Spears, the Backstreet oh. Boys.
0: Now it's coming back to me. Yes, okay. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And
1: he still does stuff today.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you ever play an instrument or ever get into music production or anything like that? No. Uh,
1: no, not really.
0: Yeah, me neither. I don't have the patience for it. Um, so it seems like you don't is are all your podcast monologues, so you don't you don't have guests on the podcast? Or, or well, I haven't yet. I've only yeah.
1: I've only done five episodes so far. So,
0: and what's um w- like? What are your goals? I mean, is, is this something to do just because it's fun to share your thoughts? Do you think people need to hear this stuff or is it just something creative that you enjoy doing?
1: No, I definitely want to challenge people's ideas and break a lot of um, uh, kind of unexamined uh, assumptions, uh, especially when it comes to things about uh, men versus men and women and social dynamics and stuff. There's just many, many things that people kind of believe because they're cliches and they've never really thought about it Mm -hmm. um if you read the book you'll find all kinds of things like that and that's what i do on the podcast too and it's also entertainment though
0: sure sure so it's funny you said you kind of said you want to bust stereotypes but not not necessarily stereotypes about autism so if i hear you right this it's really it's really quite ingenious your lack of a filter is your best friend because in other words you're cutting through bullshit you know right oh yeah so give us an example of a, of a social norm that you think is BS. Do you know do you know what I mean by that question? Like, um,
1: uh, all right, I'll give you, um, yeah, yeah a social norm or like an idea.
0: No, an idea, r- really anything that you think people that, you know, a okay, misconception yeah. out there that you,
1: well, I see a lot of times on the internet. I just covered this actually, uh, on my YouTube channel. I do, I do a lot of impromptu kind of uh, short videos where i give my thoughts mm-hmm. um in addition to my podcast and the other day i did one where i say on the internet i see people use the argument against people uh love like what do you know you live in your parents basement you've never <laughs> accomplished anything in life so therefore like your opinion means nothing versus right. it's usually followed by like Uh, listen to someone who's actually accomplished something in life. Listen to someone who actually has a family. I have boots on the ground. I feed my kids. I have responsibilities. And I'm like, that actually is the opposite of the truth. And this is really, get ready. This is really, really going to be unpopular. You ready for this?
0: I'm ready. I can't wait.
1: People who have more responsibilities and have nice, respectable families and pay their bills, are less credible than people who <laughs> live alone in their parents' basements. You know why? why? Because they have people they can't piss off. True. They have things at stake. They have a job they can't get fired from. They have a they have vendors that they can't piss off. They have someone to answer to. Someone who lives at home with their parents' basement. Now they still might be full of it, but there's also a chance that they could be telling the total unfiltered truth. Why? Cause they have nothing to lose.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so,
1: so saying you, what do you know? You probably live in your parents and I don't live in my parents' basement, by the way. So this is not like some roundabout defense of me, right. but I'm just, I, my parents live in Maine. I live in LA, but I, this, this just the point, the, um, the point I want to make is just like it, the, the argument you think you're making is actually the opposite because like, if you have a family to feed, you're more likely to be a liar.
0: Sorry. Yeah. You have,
1: you have people you can't offend. You know what I mean?
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll take it a step further. I'll say you don't don't presume that the people who have the typical life and family responsibilities are happier than the others. Because I think I think you'd probably agree with me. Happiness cuts across all all walks of life and socioeconomic, and blah blah blah. Um, I remember when I first started my career as as a young lawyer and 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 taking the subway to to the law firm where I was low guy on the totem pole and. And it wasn't the most exciting job in the world. And every time I would get on the subway, there was a guy whose job it was, like in in uh, you know an underground subway station, to just kind of make sure people got on the subway. It's like, how you doing, And it looked like the worst job in the world. He works underground. The guy had the biggest smile on his face all day long. And I used to look at him and say, Why can't I be as ha- as happy as that guy? I should, you know, fucking count my blessings and not bitch about whatever it is I'm bitching about, um, and be happy like like that guy, you know. And um, I was reminded of the the when you were talking, I was reminded of a quote. This is going to be really weird, but in the, the movie Con Air, uh, Steve Buscemi plays uh, this horrible serial killer, <laughs> and one of the fellow like inmates asked him, "So you're insane, right?" And Buscemi says, "Well, it depends on what your definition of insane is." And he said, "Well, you know, you killed people in you know, twelve states and cut off their heads and stuff." And he said, "Well, that is true, but." Some would argue that insane is working the same job as an insurance company and you know slept a work every day um, and doing the same boring thing over and over again for 50 years that you could say that's insane too <laughs> right you, you with yeah. me on you with me on this
1: yeah I mean I don't think people living at home in their parents basements are probably very happy but I do think Not that necessary. there's a chance that they could be telling the total unfiltered truth because they don't have anything to lose
0: with you with you yeah so dylan i hope you had fun man this was awesome i'd love to have you back on the show sometime because i think we're just scratching the surface and i'm going to listen to more of your podcast and uh soak in the wisdom man um yeah so where where can people find you on the interwebs and whatnot
1: i am real dylan volk everywhere so that's just r-e-a-l-d-y-l-a-n-v-o-l-k
0: awesome So, don't forget also that uh, Dylan has a book, Bad Choices Make Good Stories, My Life with Autism. You can find that by clicking right on your screen right now on the Adore app or checking in the show notes and the podcast as well. No offense, Outrageous Autism. Dylan, man, thanks so much. Have a great one.
1: All right. Later. Thank you for having me on.
0: And on behalf of Dylan Volk, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston, but if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great one, everybody. You must be the other guy.
1: That's why I'm saving up for a vasectomy.